Safety, dependability, and power. Chevy Silverado isn't happy unless the work is hard and the day is long. No wonder Silverado is America's number one best-selling retail pickup truck. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. It's the WGN Radio Football Podcast. At the end of the day, our goal is to win championships and to win the division, and we came up short of that. If you really look back and and really look at the starting point and then look at where we are today, you can't tell me you don't see the difference. Touchdown Bears! Go Bears. We're making strong progress. We're doing it the right way. It's built on a solid foundation. It's not a house of cards. And that makes the future really bright for us. The WGN Radio Football Podcast. Sponsored by ChevyDriveChicago.com. Drive what Justin Fields drives. Now, here's Kevin Powell. Welcome into another edition of the WGN Radio Football Podcast. I'm Kevin Powell. This is episode 83, and uh, pleased to be joined by Brad Spielberger from PFF Pro Football Focus, covers the NFL, and does a great job doing it, salary cap analyst over at PFF. And Brad, I uh, appreciate you jumping on the podcast. So much Bears stuff to get to. Obviously, they own the top pick, and there's been so much debate about Caleb or Justin. We we can get into that in a minute. Um and I do want to get into the Shane Waldron hiring, which you were all over. Uh, but b- before we do that, there obviously was news with Harbaugh, who ends up with the Chargers, Bears sticking with Matt Eberflus. Uh, I think for some, they many thought this was an opportunity for the Bears to be aggressive and make a bold move and go out and get Jim Harbaugh, but he does end up with the Chargers. Uh, what were your thoughts on the Bears potentially going after Harbaugh? It ended up not even being a thing because Ryan Poles was like, yeah, we didn't talk to Jim. It, it always felt like they were going to stick with Matt Eberflus. But do you think the Bears should have been more aggressive in, in pursuing Jim Harbaugh? So, you know, I think we've learned from the Jim Harbaugh hire now, that it was the end of the road of this process here, and actually ties back into Ian Cunningham, is Harbaugh wanted to come to the NFL on his terms and may have been why he didn't get hired by Minnesota and other teams in the past. And the main thing when I say that is is that Jim Harbaugh wants to have the final say on the 53-man roster. And there are some teams that go with that approach. I'm not saying one is good, one is bad. Andy Reid, I think, does have final say. Bill Belichick did have final say. Obviously, you saw the personnel shortcomings that you know are the reason he's no longer coaching in New England. But, but anyway, Chicago... Is, is a bit resistant to that philosophy. I personally think that is the correct approach. You should have the personnel guy, the general manager, that, of course, takes input and influence from the head coach, but ultimately <clears throat> is the one who is making those final decisions. And so I mentioned Ian Cunningham at the top because I think it's the reason he is no longer in the race with the Chargers um, because I think Harbaugh ultimately won that battle. I think who they do hire, not saying it makes these lesser candidates, but I think they are going to be answering to Jim Harbaugh, not, you know, being Jim Harbaugh's boss in some ways with respect to personnel. So there's my roundabout answer. Um, I just don't think it was a philosophical fit for Chicago, and at least from my perspective. I respect Jim Harbaugh. He's a great football coach. I think it makes sense, though, and I think the league in general is moving in that direction as well. Yeah, when you put it that way, there's there was absolutely no way the Bears were going to do that. That that just that is just not the way the Bears operate. And Ryan Poles, I think, has actually done you know a pretty good job over the past couple of years reshaping the roster. Um, and he does bring in Shane Waldron, uh, which I think if you know if you're an offensive coordinator and you look at openings around the league. I think the Bears opening was an attractive one. I really do, uh, considering you, you have an opportunity to work with Justin Fields and make that whole thing work. 
Or you get to work with Caleb Williams, the top overall pick. So what can you tell us about Shane Waldron, and uh, what do you like about the Bears hiring of Shane Waldron? Yeah, so I think, like you said, once you make the decision to go with Matt Eberflus, it's obviously you have to sell that offensive coordinator job, and I agree it was attractive, and I think we already have definitive proof that it was because Shane Waldron was probably the top offensive coordinator candidate on you know on the market this offseason, and could have had a pick of a lot of jobs. There are still plenty of teams trying to fill that OC spot as we speak. Um, Waldron was a guy that I thought was a potential head coach candidate, Obviously, Seattle's season maybe didn't go exactly as they'd hoped, and he ends up as an OC in Chicago. But this is a guy that um, a lot of experience. He coached in New England with Bill Belichick. He obviously coached with Sean McVay in the Rams. He even has high school coaching days in the not-so-distant future or past. Like, he's really done it all. And the biggest thing is he is a quarterback coach. He works for this, this group called QB Collective, working with the young guys in college and maybe even high school um, you know, as they develop their skills. And then you talk to people he's played for, uh, former offensive linemen say he does a great job of working with the offensive line, the receivers, and the quarterbacks to get every, everyone in sync. Um, I think it was a great hire. And then lastly, just you know, statistically, this is an offense that was explosive, you know, top 10 in explosive pass rate. They pushed the ball downfield, a lot of pre-snap motion and play action, and manufacturing a lot of easy targets and easy completions for their quarterback, but also willing to take shots downfield. And like you said, he will work with either quarterback. He's worked with a lot of different styles, Jared Goff, Russell Wilson, Geno Smith. You know, he, he knows how to adapt an offense to the quarterback, which makes itself, so, you know, whatever direction you choose, you feel confident in your coordinator. The QB Collective, uh, there's some big names involved with that. I mean, Sean McVay, the Shanahans, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniel, I think they all are involved with it. But what exactly is the quarterback collective. Is this essentially top high school quarterbacks who pay to go to these camps and work with the coach, these coaches? What What is it? Yeah, so it's a you know pro-development camp for quarterbacks. I mean, right now, Caleb Williams is actively working with them right now. Okay. But also, if you type in QBCollective.com, the homepage is literally a picture of Justin Fields. Right. Uh, you know, so, <laughs> so, again, it's kind of funny. that you know There, there are connections to both of them. Wolverton's been working there forever, but... Yeah, former quarterback coaches or even current guys. You know, Rich Scangarello is the guy working with Caleb Williams right now. I want to say a former NFL OC, maybe just former NFL quarterbacks coach. But, yeah, it's working on the technique, the footwork, okay. the rhythm and timing to an offense, all these various components, uh, mechanics, throwing mechanics, all those things we hear all about. Um, that is happening at the QB Collective. Gotcha. Okay, that's what I figured it was. But I hear it's referenced, and I've kind of looked into it, and I'm like, what exactly is going on there? But it's it's a quarterback camp for top top quarterbacks around the around the country. Um, in terms of scheme play calling, what can we expect from Shane Waldron? What do you like from from that standpoint? Yeah, so you're going to have a high rate of play action, a high rate of RPOs, a lot of you know boot rollout concepts to get you high lows on one side of the field. Basically, split the field in half, get some again, like I said, like manufacture some easy stuff, and then also uh, you know be willing to take shots downfield. You're going to get early down passing. Uh, they are, they're an aggressive offense. They had the number two rate of converting first downs into a new series of downs. So this is not a guy that wants to run, run, pass, and set up easy third downs and all that. No, he wants to attack down the field um, and be an explosive offense. But I think the biggest thing is moving the quarterback, teaching them. You saw Gino, in my opinion. You, you saw him manipulate defenders with his eyes. He had a pre-snap plan knew where he wanted to go with the football, 
And it was just a growing confidence in that. And the last piece, which is huge for, again, either Caleb Williams or Justin Fields, his average time to throw for Geno Smith came from above three seconds down to 2.7 seconds this year. And without sacrificing the downfield passing, but more just get the ball out quickly, help your offensive line, limit the pressure that gets home. Um, That's the key. Which has been a problem for the Bears' current quarterback. Getting the ball out yeah, quickly. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> so, um, all right, when it comes to the Justin-Caleb debates, I know many have gone back and forth, and, and there are plenty of big-time Justin supporters out there. I'm a, I've am been a fan of Justin since day one. He's been put into a, a – he he was put into a bad situation here. I mean, he worked one year with Nagy and Pace drafted him. We all knew they were gone after one year. Then he's got to learn a new offense. And his second year, he had absolutely nothing around him. And I, they did put some more pieces around him. Obviously, the addition of DJ Moore this past season. And you saw that real connection between Justin Fields and DJ Moore this year. They, they obviously need to add more to the offense, and we can get into that. But uh, I, I am just getting... I've gone back and forth, but currently as we record this, I'm thinking, you you got to draft Caleb Williams. Where, where are you at with the quarterback conversation with the Bears? Yeah, I think you just touched on all the key details, and I am in the same camp uh, and don't see that switching. And I will admit part of it is, is tied to, which I know some fans hate, but it is tied to you know contracts and resetting the rookie yeah. window and all those things. But that is not the only reason I'm in that camp. And look, he was handed a terrible situation. There's no doubt about it. I think in 2022, his second year, probably had the worst offensive line or one of the bottom five, and probably no debate the worst pass-catching core in the NFL. So that's not easy to work with for anybody. He had an offensive coordinator that just refused to tie an offense to his skill set until that New England Patriots game. It works all year, and then for whatever reason, the first month of this season, the offensive coordinator again decides to try to make him this West Coast pocket-passing quarterback not do all the things I just talked about, move the pocket, use his legs, all those things. So I'm not saying any of that is not true. Um, I just think at this point, you do still turn on the film. You see him have a lot of turndowns, not rip it, you know, on quick outs. There was a whole thread about slants the other day and how Fields is so efficient on slants. Is selection bias because he almost never throws them when they run them. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, uh, I'm not even saying I don't think he sees it. I actually think he sees it too well. He just is still waiting for players to be too open and just doesn't trust what he sees, trust tight throw, or tight window throws, NFL-level throws. Um, and, and so, like, I love the guy, too. I understand why every fan loves him as a person and as an electrifying player. I just think at this point, after three seasons, you've you got to use that first overall pick on a really good quarterback or, you know, a, 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 multiple. I, I'm a Caleb Williams guy, but... You know, there are two or three really good prospects at the top of this class. Yeah, and, and what you just mentioned about Justin I think is totally true. Maybe just not being able to pull the trigger and waiting for guys to get completely open and not throwing them open. And that was something that was talked about out of college. You know, that was something on his scouting report out of Ohio State, and we're still seeing it three years later. You know, and I do I think Justin can be a successful quarterback in the NFL? Absolutely, I do. You know, with the right pieces and the right offense. Um, and you mentioned the, the contracts and all that and the money. I, I agree. I think that factors in big time. But it can't be, like, the deciding factor here. I mean, you've, you've got to just make the best decision on who your quarterback is. I think with Justin, too, and as you watch through the playoffs, that's the question you got to ask. Can Justin be one of these elite quarterbacks? Can he be a top-tier quarterback that can drive you down a field late in the fourth quarter and win you a big game? Because that, that's been a struggle for Justin, is fourth-quarter play. 
and he really hasn't gotten it done, and it's not all on him. But in those situations, you never feel great that Justin is going to drive the offense down the field. And elite quarterbacks seem to always be, find a way to do that, you know? And and that's a question they have to ask. Does Justin have another gear? Can Justin get to a top the top tier of quarterbacks in the NFL? I don't know if that's the case. I don't know if he can. Yeah, like the talent is there, you know, the arm talent, the athleticism, it's all there. But quarterbacking is, is unfortunately not that simple. Um, and, yeah, the fourth quarter stats are very poor, even more so just looking at expected pass situations. So when it's not a, you know, when it's, when it's obvious the team needs to throw the football, um, which, of course, every quarterback dips under those conditions, but his fall is a bit more precipitous than when you look at some of the other quarterbacks, you know, the elite guys that you said are still playing in the, in the playoffs right now. That, that, that is a struggle for me. And, and then, you know, people say, oh, we can get this great team discount. Like, that's not a thing. It does not exist. There is no quarterback, veteran quarterback discount. So, yes, you could add a bunch of talent and, and, and maybe you know, find a way through, but it's a tried-and-true formula in the NFL right now. You get the rookie contract quarterback. You surround them with a bunch of talent. Um, and then, you, you know, if they are one of those top eight, top 12 guys, you, of course, pay them. Of course, they're figured out from there. We just, I mean, this is the offseason where his fifth year option, about $22 million fully guaranteed, is due. And, like, the thing, too, even the people in the field camp, really, I, I, that I've seen, can't even say they're, like, convinced they should pick it up. Oh, you can decline it and maybe see how it goes from there. That, that's, that's not an option. <laughs> yeah, I don't think, you know, when you have this top pick, again, for back to back seasons, and you have a quarterback prospect like Caleb Williams, I, I don't think you pass just because you want to see one more year of Justin. You know, I, I think this time last year in the offseason, especially after they made that trade with Carolina, I think the thought was, okay, uh, this this gives them another year with Justin. Let's see if he can really turn the corner and, and you know, build something. And on top of that, maybe the Bears will get the top pick. And if they have the top pick, they can just draft a quarterback because we'll definitely know if Justin's the guy after this season. And it's like, <laughs> or, you know, that was that was the thought process after that trade was made with Carolina. It's like, okay, this buys us another year to see if Justin can figure it out. And then maybe if they're lucky, they'll have the top pick. And if Justin's not the guy, they can just draft a quarterback. That's the situation they're in right now. You know, they, they, they'd all worked out. They got the top pick, and now they have an opportunity to draft one of the highest-rated quarterbacks coming out of college in a very long time. Yep, yep, exactly. It played it right into their hand. And, and to that point, like, people pressed me, okay, if they had the third overall pick from Carolina instead of first, is your thought process different? And it might yeah, be. Yeah. You know, I, I'm still watching the tape on <laughs> Jaden Daniels right now. I've watched Drake Mankill Williams way too many times. Um, and I think I would take both of those guys at one or two. Obviously, Daniels won the Heisman, had one of the most outrageous statistical profiles we've ever seen in college, um, you know, in the SEC, and, and maybe. But, but my answer would be, you know, maybe I do fall into the Marvin Harrison Jr. camp and just figure it out. You just, it's just like you said, you can't pass on first overall two years in a row, you know, and the Bears, pick, their own pick is still a top 10 pick. Yeah, exactly. What is your scouting report on Caleb? I'm almost more interested to hear on some knocks you might have on him because um, we know all, all of the good things about Caleb. But what, what is your scouting report on him? Yeah, so he does also have the issue of he tries to hit the home run too often and, and dances around the pocket and tries to evade pressure and wait for things to develop downfield. And so then, then he's also holding on the ball very long. He's taking sacks you know, when, it, when it's not really necessary. And so I do understand that some people say, so why is he different than Fields then if he has that same issue? The one big one for me 
is a thing we've been looking at into a ton is when a quarterback scrambles, how often are they scrambling to throw or how often are they scrambling to just take off and run? And when Caleb Williams does scramble, he still has his eyes downfield and is looking to throw the football. So he has a good rushing profile. He, he can get you those elusive, you know, extra couple yards when he bails. But also, he is so, so good at escaping the pocket, still keeping his eyes downfield. He throws off platform, off weird arm angles. There are negatives. I'm not saying he's a perfect prospect, but, but the last piece, too, is he does have the quick game ability. Like when he's asked to do it, um, to get the ball out quickly, accurately, to help the yards after the catch with pinpoint accuracy, all of those things, that is on his film. Uh, other than that, as you mentioned, the Bears do have the two, two top ten picks. Uh, what are some other players that uh, you think should be on the Bears' radar? Obviously, Alt or Olu could be big-time left tackles for them. Um, what are you thinking they might do with, with the other pick in the first round? Yeah, so I would imagine Joe Alt and Olu Fashanu are probably gone by nine. Maybe not, though. Um, and I do like Braxton Jones. I think he is a starting caliber left tackle. It's kind of funny. He kind of starting to remind me of, of um, Charles Leno, where like he is a starting caliber left tackle. He's a good player, but Bears fans, you know, he gives a couple sacks here and there against Miles Garrett, and Bears fans want to run him out of town as if you know every left tackle doesn't give up a couple pressures uh, to Miles Garrett. So I wouldn't mind that direction. <clears throat> For me, though, I'm just praying Romo Dunze, the Washington wide receiver, is still on the board at night. I, am, I think there's a 0% chance and Marvin Harrison Jr. or Malik Neighbors from LSU will be there at nine. I think Odunze could be the one that makes it out there. This is a guy who has really, really good, you know, a downfield catching ability, late hands to the football, um, over the shoulder catches, good footwork, you know, on the sideline, toe taps, all of those things. Uh, he's a really, really nuanced, technically savvy, smooth route running, clean in and out of his breaks, a really, really good football player. I think it not for those other guys, but but still, you know, worthy of a top ten pick. Uh, if I'm the Bears, I'm, I'm hoping he's there. Yeah, receiver for sure. Maybe a left tackle. They desperately need to solidify the center position. That's been a real problem, and I, you know, that's a later in the draft. Maybe they can find someone, or or maybe a free agent center. Well, who's out there? Because that was a that was a real problem for the Bears this year, and really even last year. Even snapping the football was a problem at times for the Bears. Any centers out there, Brad? Not to not to uh, catch you off guard here and talking centers, but it is a position they absolutely need to address. No, us Bears fans should be well versed on all the center options uh, <laughs> after watching this year. I'm with you. It, was, it can sink an offense, right? It was just an anchor that brought everything else down, yeah. and especially again if you're trying to work with Justin Fields, a new offense, or you know, a rookie quarterback, you can't have the center position be an issue um, you know, for that player. So I think the beauty here is, for me personally, I would look to free agency. There are some good prospects, but it lines up very nicely where, uh, so Shane Walker, we just talked about him a bunch. He was in the, with the Rams before the Seattle Seahawks. Both the Seattle Seahawks' current starting center and the Rams' current starting center are going to be available in free agency. They're both familiar with the wide zone offense, the rushing attack they run. They obviously know the verbiage, know the language, and they're both good players. They're not going to like reset the market or anything, but certainly both guys that deserve to start in the NFL. And there's more beyond that, too. Lloyd Cushenberry in Denver, probably one of the higher-paid guys in this free agent market, Andre James in Las Vegas. There are a ton of pending free agent centers, and a lot of them happen to fit in this rushing attack, which obviously... You know, it's kind of taking the league by storm. So that's the route I'd go. You know, Ben Powers, Johnson, Oregon, probably the first center off the board, very good football player. 
Uh, there are some more. Uh, I just I, like you said. I don't want to use a premium pick there. Yeah. I'd rather spend some cash there and use those premium picks on your receiver, edge rusher, tackle, things like that. Yeah, look, the Bears' defense was very good down the stretch for for much of the season. I thought Matt Eberflus did a really good job in that department leading the defense. I still think, and look, Montez was good. I think I still think they're a guy or two away up front from really being a dominant defense. They definitely need somebody opposite Montez to generate a pass rush. Any any names you can float out there, whether it's through the draft or, or free agency, somebody you think that might fit for this Bears defense? Yeah, so I'm with you. So the one free agent name that I think probably will actually reach the market, you know, which is always the big, the big caveat there, is Bryce Huff with the New York Jets, who... He is a vivid designated pass rusher. He's a Bears kind of corollary. He's kind of a Pernell McPhee, where people remember when he came from Baltimore, really, really good getting after the quarterback, but not really a three-down player. I think if he stayed healthy, he probably would be viewed more favorably. You know, for Bears fans, he was a good football player. Those knees just kind of caught up with him. But, but Bryce Huff with the Jets is an insanely good, gifted one-on-one pass rusher, one of the highest quick pressure rates in the entire NFL the last two seasons. Um I think he's your free agent option. In the draft, let's say, you know, the tackles and receivers are gone. I think our guy Ryan Poles, who loves to trade down, probably does explore that a little bit because I'm not sure any of these guys are worthy of a top-10 pick. But Dallas Turner, Alabama, put on some weight. If you, I, I would have told you last year he was not a fit. He was an undersized off-ball line, or outside linebacker. He put on a lot of weight. He, he was in the gym um, this past offseason. I think he now could hold up in this Eberflus defense. Laatu Latu at UCLA. I think probably the best pure edge rusher in this class. The big question there is he medically retired at one point, had some neck issues, which was the same situation or similar to Jalen Phillips, who's on the Miami Dolphins, who is an elite player at the NFL level. You know, Terry's Achilles this year, but hasn't had issues related to his concussions, which is why he retired initially. So those two guys to me really stick out. And then Jared Verse at Florida State is a good player as well. Um, I'd be happy with all those guys. I, I just... I don't know if I'd love using the ninth overall pick there. Maybe you have to. Um, but, but yeah, all good players. Uh, what do you think they can get for Justin in a trade? I think the best co- comparable trade is the Sam Darnold trade from a couple of years ago to Carolina, which was a second, a fourth, and a sixth-round pick. So still a pretty solid package. Uh, it was the Carolina Panthers, so it was a, you know, an early uh, second-round pick. You know, the Bears know about trading with the Panthers is always good business. Uh, so an early second-round pick and a fourth and a sixth. And it was the same setup where you traded him before the fifth-year option was due. The new team got to make that decision. Obviously, in Carolina, they pick up that option for Sam Darnold. You'd imagine the team here would do the same. I think you know the, the, the range of outcomes is fairly wide depending on, you know, okay, let's say the, the Raiders, the Atlanta Falcons, the Patriots. Like, insert the teams you think might need a quarterback. How big that list ends up being, I think, is you know it could be even stronger than that, or maybe they don't have a lot of bidders. There aren't many suitors in the market, and it goes a little bit lower. But long answer short, I think you are getting a second-round pick. Uh, hypothetically here, let's say they do decide to trade the first pick, which I, I'm not anticipating they do, but just for fun, what do you think they? What kind of haul do you think they could get for that top overall pick? Truly historic. Like I think yeah. it'll be one of the biggest trades in the history of the NFL because you know the first overall pick itself always has a premium, even compared to other top three, top five draft picks. But then also you fold in the fact that there is a prospect that is viewed as you know up in, up in the upper echelons of prospect ratings. So you know, of course, it depends how far you go. I think the interesting teams to keep an eye on, obviously two and three, you know, with Washington, and New England, maybe hypothetically you go there. 
But then it come, becomes the New York Giants at six and the Atlanta Falcons at eight. I think are the real ones to keep an eye on. Do the Giants get out ahead of moving on from Daniel Jones and the new Falcons regime try to make their big move, go get their franchise quarterback? You're talking three first, multiple second round picks, like it, 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 maybe even again, like a DJ Moore, you have to throw in yeah. a legit Pro Bowl, all pro level talent. Yeah, you talk to people on the league, they say it would be one of the biggest trades in NFL history. Yeah, I could see Vegas being aggressive in this draft. You know they're desperate to figure out the quarterback spot, new stadium, new location, all of that. But they are down at 13. I, I just It's a team I think I'll be watching closely as, as we lead up to the draft. I just can see them being aggressive in some way. The key there for me is, does Champ Kelly stay in the building, right? So he was the interim general manager. He obviously worked for the Chicago Bears for probably a decade plus. Uh, mm-hmm. Did not get the full-time GM job, which I thought was pretty unfortunate. He has a lot of people in his camp across the NFL. But anyway, uh, he might leave. He might say, right, you know, I'll stay here and be the assistant GM still. If he stays, that's a guy that, you know, re- recruited and, and scouted Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. I think that becomes very, very interesting. Uh, Brad, really great stuff. Covered a lot here on the podcast. The top pick, Shane Waldron hiring. I, uh, I appreciate the time, Brad. Really a great insight here. Of course. Thanks for having me. And that's going to do it for episode 83 of the WGN Radio Football Podcast. Thanks again to our local Chevy dealers for sponsoring the podcast, ChevyDriveChicago.com. Thanks again to Brad for joining me. Thanks to Brian Altimer and Ernie Scatton for their help producing the podcast. Thank you for listening. This was episode 83 of the WGN Radio Football Podcast.